This is no ordinary dagger. Releasing the sand turns back time. Only the holder of the dagger is aware of what's happened. Did you see that? Prince Dastan, have you wondered how you could have found such a treasure? Are you not curious why an orphan from the streets would be chosen to become a prince? The gods have a plan for you, a destiny. There are those who would use the power of the dagger to destroy the world. Time will erase everything. You must protect it. Who were these demons? Assassins, trained in the art of quick death. The secret guardian temple. It's the one place the dagger can be safely hidden. Take it there, Destan. to do, don't you? Only because you're so good at following orders. Yeah, don't press your luck. The dagger must be found. Such a noble prince. Heaping to assist the fallen beauty. Who said you were a beauty? There must be a reason why you can't take your eyes off me. You're... I... Give me the dagger! How did you do that? to thank you for coming to Freedom Ridge today. It's great to have you here. Uh, when you came in, you were handed a program, and in that program, there's a blue PRC. It looks just like this. If you could take it out and fill out the front of it, if you haven't already done that, I would uh, really appreciate that. And it's just our way of knowing who you are and just a way to communicate with us. So if you could take a few moments and fill out the front of it, we'd appreciate that. And then keep it handy, and we'll talk about some of the stuff on the back of it when we get down towards the end of the message today. So make sure you keep it close by. I'm glad to be here with you today by way of video. Uh, my family and I, we are taking our first vacation in, uh, let's just say, a really long time. And so we're back on the East Coast and we're hanging out with each other and just seeing some sights and having a good time. But I'm glad you guys are here today. Today as we continue God at the Movies, we are looking at the movie The Prince of Persia. Now it opens up in a marketplace where the king and his entourage are making their way through, but a young boy's in the way. He spooks a horse and one of the guards grabs a boy and begins to beat him. Now, a young orphan boy named Dastin, he comes out of the crowd and he throws a rock at the guard, causing him to stop. And the guards begin to chase after this orphan, but because of his great building climbing skills, he gets away for a while. They actually end up catching him after a while, and his courageous act, it impresses the king so much that he brings this orphan into his palace to raise as one of his own sons. 
And because of his courage, this new son becomes known as the Prince of Persia. Now, all through the movie, you sense that Dastan is living with a sense of destiny. When Dastan was an adult, the Persians, they attacked a city called Alamut. And at their celebration, after their successful attack, the king says that Dastan has joined the ranks of mighty Persian warriors. You see, he was brave. He was courageous. Now, you know, no one ever really wants to be called a coward. We'll do almost anything to avoid being called a coward. Remember when you were a kid, you were in school, and somebody would dare you to do something, and, I mean, you would just do stupid, dumb things, dangerous things sometimes, all to avoid that dreaded word, chicken. You didn't want to be called a chicken. Dastin, he lived with a sense of destiny, therefore he lived with courage. We love courageous people. We despise the cowardly. In most movies, the bad guys end up being the cowards, and the good guys are always the courageous ones. In our families, dads always want their wife and kids to see them as being courageous because that's what heroes are made of. And that right there is why I and my own family never hesitate to smash the spider because that's what heroes are made of. Now, usually when we think of courage, we think of death-defying acts or heroic acts and the great sacrifices. You know, firemen going into burning buildings and bringing out the little kids. Soldiers falling onto a grenade to save their buddies. Policemen in the line of fire taking a bullet to save somebody else's life. We think of astronauts or Holocaust survivors or Congressional Medal of Honor winners and things like this. And all those things, they are very courageous things. But the truth is, it takes an enormous amount of courage just to face the ordinary challenges of daily life without wimping out. Every day you're making choices. Every day those choices reveal you to either be courageous or a coward. Jesus says this in John 16, 33. He says, in the world you will have hardship. Now notice it's not an option. It's going to happen. So he's saying don't be surprised. But he says, be courageous. I have conquered the world. Today I want us to get real practical. You see, there's a huge difference between being good and being great. And I want to help you today to either get on the road to greatness or I want to motivate you to keep on keeping on by showing you some practical ways that you can use to develop courage in your life on a daily basis without running into fiery buildings or jumping on grenades or protecting a magical dagger like Destin. But how you can develop courage in your life in every single 24-hour period. Now, the Bible tells us we can be courageous by displaying certain things in our life. The first one on your listening guide is I show courage by owning up to my sin. I show courage by owning up to my sin. Sin's a word we love to avoid. We call it everything else. We call it a blooper or a blunder or a character defect or a flaw. It's my temperament or an oversight or a lack of good judgment. But the Bible calls it sin. And the Bible says we've all sinned. 1 John 1.8 says if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He says we're just kidding ourselves when we claim perfection. 
I don't know, maybe we hate to admit our sin because we're afraid other people will think less of us when we admit that we have failed, but being able to own up to personal sin, to personal responsibility, that's a mark of emotional health and spiritual health, and it is a mark of courage. It takes courage to do that. So what are you afraid to own up to? What is it in your marriage or your job that you haven't owned up to and you keep blaming it on somebody else? The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, you'll never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. Denial, it doesn't work in the long run. Now, there are some short-term gains. I'll hand you that. But in the long run, denial doesn't work. I mean, fakes, phonies, cons, they don't last. But the truth lasts. And I think that's what made Dastin so likable is he was just himself. You read about Paul in the Bible, he could be honest with his strengths, and he would say things like, follow me as I follow Jesus. But he could also say, I am the chief of sinners. He was very honest about it. He even wrote his sins down so that 2,000 years later, we're still reading about his sins. Courage is owning up to my sin. And number two on your listening guide, courage is standing up for what is right. Courage is standing up for what is right. Dastin's beloved adopted dad, he was assassinated in a coup. He's being set up to look like he is a murderer, but he sets out to expose the true murderer and the fact that it was done basically in an effort to rule the entire world. Part of Dastin's mission was to deliver the sands of time dagger back to its rightful place. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, it says, Stay true to what you believe. Be courageous. Be strong. Today, very few Jesus followers are willing to stand up for what's right. In a world where tolerance is valued more than truth, where people even doubt the existence of is there a right or a wrong, most Jesus followers are afraid to stand up for the truth. We're afraid that we'll be labeled things like narrow-minded or prejudiced or judgmental or old-fashioned or out-of-date or bigoted or whatever. Just think about it. This past week, probably where you work or maybe in your neighborhood or maybe even in your own family, somewhere in your life, you've seen something done that was wrong. You knew it was wrong, but you said nothing about it. You remained silent. Now, probably in your mind, you were thinking this. I know that's wrong because the Bible says it's wrong, but who am I to judge? Do you understand the contradiction in that statement? I know it's wrong, but who am I to speak up? It's not my business. It's not my responsibility. Are you sure of that? If you're a believer, if you're a Jesus follower, we can apply this next verse to, to, to us. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 18. It says, If you don't speak out to warn the evil person to leave his evil ways, he will die in his sin. But I'll hold you responsible for his death. <laughs> Ouch. The Bible says if I know the truth, if I know the difference between right and wrong, and I see somebody messing up their life and blowing up and doing the wrong thing, and I say nothing about it, that the consequence of that wrong action, God, He's going to hold me responsible for that. I mean, for example, who's responsible for the Holocaust? Hitler? Well, yeah, he was. But also, everybody else who knew about it, who knew it was going on, 
but they kept their mouth shut. God says when I know the difference between right and wrong and I do nothing about it, it's evil. All of us know people who are messing up their lives, destroying their lives because they're ignoring God and His will for their lives. I mean, they're thumbing their nose at God. We have friends, you know, we all have friends like that. Maybe you have family members, relatives, co-workers, people in your neighborhood, people you go to school with, and you're not doing anything about it. I'm sure many of us, we know somebody who's involved in drugs or you know somebody who's in the middle of an affair. It's destroying their marriage. It's destroying them. You may know somebody who's cheating and they're stealing from the company or they're stealing from the government. You may know somebody who's stuck in the addiction of pornography and they can't get out of it and you said nothing about it. And the excuse that you've given for your silence is, well, they seem to be doing okay. So who am I to judge? Well, look at this next verse. This is Proverbs 14, verse 13. It says, sure, those people appear to be having a good time, but all that laughter will end in heartbreak. They appear to be having a good time, but all that laughter will end in heartbreak. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, there will be times in your life when out of love you must care enough to confront there must be times when you say to that friend or that family member or somebody that you care about, man, you are making a major mistake in your life and I care too much about you to let you blow it. If you see somebody doing something wrong and you don't confront them about it, you're not much of a friend. Sometimes love is tough. And you say, I'm not going to stand by on the sidelines and remain silent. I care too much about you. That is love. Now if I were to go home and it'd be late at night and I would see my house, my house was on fire and I knew my family was inside asleep. Nothing could keep me from running in there to get them. The press might call me a hero or courageous. The fire department might call me crazy or nuts. Other people might call me other things, but when it comes down to the bottom line, love leaves no choice. It's not an option. I have to take a stand out of love. So where do you get that courage? Look at Psalm 119, verse 41. It says, Let your love, God, shape my life. Then I'll be able to stand up to mockery. In other words, what other people think. But I'll be able to stand up to mockery because I trust your word. And as I look for your truth and your wisdom, I'll tell the world what I find and speak out boldly in public, unembarrassed. I want you to circle some words on your listening guide there in that verse. Circle the word love, word, and truth. These are the things that give you the motivation to have courage to stand up for what's right. If I really love God with all my heart, and if I really love the truth, and if I really love people, then those things are going to motivate me to take action rather than sitting in cowardly silence on the sidelines. Love for God, and love for truth, and love for people is the motivation behind courage. And then number three on your listening guide is I have to speak up for Jesus. I have to speak up for Jesus. 
Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. It says, God doesn't want us to be shy with His gifts, but be bold and loving and sensible. So don't be embarrassed to speak up for our Master. Now, in the New Century Version, it says this. It says, don't be ashamed to tell people about our Lord Jesus. In 1 Peter 3.15, it tells us there, it says, always be ready to give a reason to anyone who asks you why you are living the way that you are, and always do it with the utmost courtesy. You don't use truth to beat people over the head with, you know, it's, it's not a gun that you fire at people. It's not a club that you hammer people on the head with. It's not a dagger that you stick into people. You do it with courtesy. And many of you are thinking, you know, I know I need to tell my friends and my coworkers or these family members about Jesus, but, I mean, I'm no expert. I'm a brand new believer, or I'm a believer for many years, but I don't know the Bible. I don't have those verses memorized. I don't know enough to tell people about Jesus. Well, do you know enough to say Jesus Christ loves you and God made you for a purpose? I mean, this isn't rocket surgery. You can say that. Jesus Christ loves you. And He died for you on the cross to show you that God has a purpose for your life. And here is the difference that Jesus has made in my life. You know, and on top of that, people, they don't need your knowledge. What they need is your love. You don't argue anybody into heaven. You, don't, you, you just love them into heaven. But it still takes courage. There's a point in the movie that's pivotal to the whole plot, and so I won't, I won't give it all away, but the Persians are on their way to attack a city, and they decide to attack another one called Alamed instead. It's the one I mentioned at the beginning. Dastin, he breaks ranks with the army, and he decides to stage a sneak attack to get into the walls of this city. Now, I want, to, I want you to watch this clip from the movie. He's successful, by the way. Pretty cool, isn't it? But he's successful, and he saves the day. Because he's a hero of the story, right? So did you have any doubt? But I think that we have something important to learn from him here. Even though he was attempting something that seemed crazy and risky, he expected to be successful. He expected to breach the wall and to get into the city. He expected to be instrumental in defeating the enemy. Now, when it comes to our spiritual life, a lot of times we walk around like we're a nobody, like we can't make any difference or we can't do any good. And with that kind of attitude, you're already defeated. What we need to do is live with a sense of expectation. You know, at Freedom Ridge, we aren't the only church. There's a lot of great churches out there. We aren't the only people with the message of the freedom that Jesus offers. But we are the only people that some people will listen to. 
So we need to get off our collective butts and get out there and do something. So this means, number four, if we're going to live with courage, we need to expect God to use me. I need to expect God to use me. Now, here's a suggested memory verse for the week. Every week we throw a memory verse out say, if you want to memorize a verse, this is it. I encourage you to really put forth the effort to learn this one. If you haven't taken up this challenge yet, please memorize this one. This is Philippians 1.20. It says, I expect and hope that I will have the courage now, as always, to show the greatness of Christ in my life here on earth. God works in your life when you show faith. You expect the courage to be there, it will be there. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is doing the right thing in spite of your fear. Courage is not the absence of anxiety because, I mean, believe me, you're going to have anxiety when you talk to people about critical issues in their life. It's just natural to be nervous. In fact, if you don't feel any nervousness, any fear, then it's not an act of courage because you only need courage when you're scared to death. But the very fact that you're moving ahead in spite of your fear means you're being courageous, and that is pleasing to God. The Bible says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, this is, these are the words that God said to the Israelites as they were going out into the promised land. And we can apply this to us in our life. He said, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So pray for boldness, and then expect God to use you. When you read everything that's going on in this world and the way they twist it and they tell it, it sounds like God and everything that is good is losing ground in our world. I mean, we can become very easily discouraged when that's the opposite of courage. But you don't have to ever become discouraged because all we need to do is just remember the end of the story. In the last chapter of God's Word in the Bible, it says this. It says, we win. Jesus Christ is going to come back. He's going to settle the score. He's going to reward the righteous. He's going to punish the wicked. He's going to establish justice. James 5.8 says, Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Job tells us in chapter 11, verse 18 of his book, he says, You'll have courage because you will have hope. Have you ever heard the phrase or the excuse God is a crutch for spineless wimps or something like Christianity is for cowards. The fact is, it takes enormous courage to just become a Jesus follower. In the first place, you have to own up to your own sin. Say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. In the second place, you have to repent, and that takes courage. Say, God, I'm going to go your way, not my way. In the third place, you have to commit your life totally to Jesus and say, I'm going to follow you from here on out. And that takes courage. It takes courage to follow Jesus when it's unpopular, when it's inconvenient, when you don't understand it. It takes courage to share your faith with an unbeliever. It takes courage to tithe to the church. It takes courage to remain sexually pure in this sex-obsessed society. It takes courage to own up to your own sin and to stand up for what's right and to speak up for Jesus Christ. And anybody who does any of that has more courage in their pinky than the critic has in his entire body. Cowards follow the crowds. The courageous follow Jesus. 
When you look at the statements of Jesus Christ, they are the most challenging statements you will ever see. Statements like, give your life away in order to find it. Like when the enemy hurts you, you pray for them. You do good for them. Or turn the other cheek, go the second mile. Is that easy? (laughs) No. But Jesus says things like, take up your cross and follow me. And in those days, nobody was going to take up their cross unless a Roman was going to nail them to it. It was a death sentence to be a Jesus follower. Cowards do not last in the Christian life. They wimp out. So I want to ask you, do you have enough courage to step across the line and then live like it? Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 26, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory. So when Jesus comes back, is he going to be ashamed of your cowardice? Let me ask you this. Who is going to be in heaven because of you? And what I'm challenging you to do this morning is this. Don't settle for just being good. But aspire to being great. And live your life in courage. Realize you only need to live for an audience of one. And that is Jesus Christ. Great people never follow the crowd. But I encourage you, take the road less traveled. If you go ahead and grab your PR sheet, and let's look at some of the things on the back of this, this sheet. In the section under my next step. It says, I'll memorize Philippians 1, verse 20 this week. If you want to memorize a verse, you know, you want to take up that challenge and try your best to do that, we won't check up on you. But if you want to say, I will try my best to do this, then go ahead and mark that box there. I want you to think about this and answer this question. Do I live for an audience of one or do I live for an audience of many? What is it? Do you live for one or do you live for many? Now be honest with yourself and answer that question. And then this next one, I will live my life with a sense of expectation of being used by God. Yes or no? Are you going to live your life in expectation? Are you going to do that in the expectation of being used by God? If you haven't yet stepped across that line and made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life and you know, owned up to your sin and repented and given your life to Him, then this next box is for you where it says, I want Jesus to be the leader of my life. And if you want to do that, if you want Him to enable you to live with courage, then mark that box and someone will get in touch with you to answer any questions you might have and help walk you through that. But if you've already stepped across the line, but you've been sitting back in, on the sidelines and you've been sitting back in cowardice, but you're ready to recommit, you're ready to get back into the game, you're ready to live with courage, then that next box is for you where it says, I am recommitting my life to Jesus as my leader. I encourage you to check that box if you haven't been living in courage. So use these questions. Use these questions that will help you apply what we've talked about today. You don't have to leave here the same person. You can leave here changed. But the choice is up to you.